All right, welcome in to today's episode of the Blanket Coverage Podcast. We're sorry we couldn't make our normal Wednesday recording time. I had some family stuff come up. So we are here today getting you through your Thursday afternoon, recapping an incredible weekend of football last week. I'm joined as always by my co-host Jack Wallace, who's in Syracuse, New York. Uh, the big in why, and I've got a cold open for us today. Um, it's a quick one. It's another music-based one, but what is one song that you would think, if you could travel back in time to like Plymouth Rock um, and you brought you know, an, I- an iPhone uh, and-, and maybe a pair of headphones, uh, what is one song that you think would kill a pilgrim on the spot just from shock and awe? Well, there are a lot of options here, and I know there's kind of a I mean, we're not going to be going with some soft jazz on some of these, quite the opposite. So I, I think I'm going to be going with Look At Me by X, because I think a song like that playing um, to really, even nowadays, I mean, may he rest in peace, but my goodness, uh, <laughs> songs like that, I'd say, uh, would not quite do the best for a Puritan's ears. No, yeah, I, I definitely some uh, some explicit titles in there would make a Puritan um go completely insane on the spot just from shock i'm gonna go though with like some 2011 like 2013 like dubstep um i i'm gonna go with actually with uh do you remember the uh the you are a cinema uh the remix that skrillex did um where it, it just sounds like like literally the bass drop like the entire melody just sounds like a phone like on the busy like a phone's big busy signal and it's just all right yeah i think that would instantly kill a pilgrim um or or at least deafen them for for a significant period of time (laughs) maybe maybe done for (laughs) but anyway that was uh and that was today's cold open so we have uh a recap of our college football picks from this week and we both did not so good we did we did really well on college football picks last year um i think we both had over a hundred wins in like a solid like 75 percent uh win percentage this week we both went five and six uh despite having several different picks um and you can catch those picks on twitter um on fridays for college football and then on saturdays or sunday mornings uh, for the NFL, but let's go ahead and, and and just to mention, we both broke straight even on NFL picks this week. So eight and eight for both of us, eight and eight on the year because it was week one. But we've got some other sports going on that we want to round up before we get into our football americano uh, part of this uh, podcast. So let's go ahead. Let's recap. Um, some baseball and some soccer. Jack, take it away. Well, to start off baseball, we are very much approaching the hunt for October. We are right in the thick of it, and we already have some teams that are set and ready to go. And of those two, it's the Giants and it's the Dodgers. Not very surprising. These are the first two teams to clinch, given that they both have pretty darn good records. In fact, I think the best two records in baseball at the moment, uh, Giants at 95 wins, Dodgers at 94. 
separated by, I think, about a game and a half. So these two teams looking to head into the playoffs about as strong as you can ask. Both of them are projected to get over 100 wins. I think actually the only two teams projected over 100 wins right now. There'll be a few others very, very close, like the Rays may make it. Um, Astros and Brewers may be close too. But uh, out of those, it looks like they're going to be probably the strongest two teams in the playoffs. As a Braves fan, that makes me quite afraid, as it's very obviously those are the two best teams likely to beat the Braves out, as well as anybody else. And looking around the rest of the playoffs, the Chicago White Sox, the Milwaukee Brewers, both in their respective central divisions in the AL and NL, respectively, and then Houston in the AL West all look to be nearly wrapped up as division champs. Not quite official yet, but it's nearly done. And then Tampa Bay and the AL East looks to be about done, too. The only couple of ones that are still kind of a mix right now are the NL East and the NL West, because I mentioned that the um, Giants and Dodgers have both clinched. But neither of them clinched the division yet. The Giants do have a slight edge with about a 58% chance to win. This is of right now. These uh, stats are updating every day for every game. So this is at 3 o'clock Eastern time on September 16th. So we'll see how it goes over the next week. And then the Braves have a current 84% chance to make the playoffs as the NL champion, uh, NL East champion, and uh, an 86% chance to make the playoffs. The only other team that has any kind of anything against the Braves right now is the Phillies with a 21% chance to make the playoffs and just a 15% chance to take that title away from Atlanta. And then the only other team in the mix is the Mets who have a 2% chance across the board and the Marlins are technically alive, but it's not going to happen. And the Nationals did get mathematically eliminated last night, so they are done. Other odds to make the playoffs, the AL East is actually very interesting considering that, again, as I mentioned, the Rays are very likely to close out the victory in the divisional round. In fact, it's pretty much done. But the rest of the division is pretty darn good. The Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Yankees all have over 60% odds to make the playoffs. Uh, The Orioles are obviously eliminated. It's the Orioles. But the rest of the AL really isn't as strong. The AL Central with the Indians, Tigers, Royals, Twins are all about done. White Sox should win it easily. But I don't have a lot of faith in the White Sox when it comes to the playoffs. And then even if you look at the West, the Astros are a very strong team. But the A's and Mariners slowly decreasing their odds to the playoffs looks like either or both could make it only about a month ago. And now they both seem to be about done. Angels are on life support basically over and the Rangers are finished. So it seems like that the road to the AL pennant is going to go through the East pretty clearly. Uh, We'll see if any of these teams end up uh, clinching up the playoff spots. It looks like all of them may end up doing that. The Blue Jays had a crazy surge only about a month ago. This team had about a 30% odds to make the playoffs. Now again, uh, two-thirds, so really, really impressive run by the Blue Jays. Uh, only other team to highlight here is the St. Louis Cardinals, a team that was also way on life support a few months ago. Actually, still has a negative six run differential despite being runner-up right now in the NL Central, and they have a 45% chance to make the playoffs. And if you look back, I mean, let's even look at September 9th. Just a week ago, the Cardinals had a 5% chance to make it. Just a week ago, 5% odds. And right now, 45%. So a crazy, crazy run from St. Louis. And really excited to see if they end up sneaking their way into the playoffs. Uh, Only six teams are eliminated right now. I mentioned most of them, and that's Arizona, Texas, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, and Washington. So these teams are all already done. And then Cleveland, LA Angels, Cubs, uh, KC, Colorado, Detroit, and Miami are all at about 1% or lower. So you can basically write all those teams off. But very excited to look forward to the rest of the hunt for October. Very excited to see where the playoffs could lie because there's nothing as fun in baseball as the playoffs because the playoffs are not very long 
and there's a bunch of really top tier teams. The one thing I really like about baseball is that you really have to be pretty good to make the playoffs. It doesn't just let everybody in, which I think is um, the one knock I give the NBA. I think is given that there's eight teams from each of the East and West plus than the two more of the play in. It's so many teams make it. And I like that the MLB restricts that a bit. So when you actually see baseball playoffs, it's really high quality. So I really enjoy getting around to that and I'm excited for that to come soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any idea how many games roughly are left in the baseball season for each team? Uh, maybe about 15, 16 games left. We're getting near the end. Yeah, we're, we're getting tightened up time here. I do, I do mm-hmm. sort of enjoy watching the baseball playoffs, though. If there's football on TV, it's a no-brainer for me. But the I mean, baseball playoffs are fun. One game, one game. Wild cards are fun. The yeah, the wild cards are fun. Um, I I, I do enjoy watching the baseball playoffs. And we get um, crowds back. That's the other big yeah, thing. Now there's yeah, much bigger reason to watch. I think the main thing about baseball for me is that there's 160 whatever games. Uh, in the regular season and that just makes it incredibly boring like why do you why do we need to play 160 whatever games it's baseball that's that's why i mean i have a lot of friends here that are big baseball people at the end of the day i mean i I appreciate their fanship and i get that it is um significant to them and i do respect that but when people get real upset about a loss in the middle of like june i'm like (laughs) like i mean you hate to see a loss you never cheer for a loss of course but like it's a loss in the middle of June. And I get right now it does matter. Cause like, with, I mean, I was talking about the Cardinals. It's been one week and their odds shot up 40%. So right now wins and losses actually do mean a lot and it does matter, but only because you're down at the stretch and a lot of teams are so close. But again, that goes back to the argument. If you're already going to be this close anyway, do you really need 162 games or do you need, I mean, you could have 90 games. You, you mean 80. I mean, of course you do have to have a good amount of games given that pitchers can only pitch so often. So you couldn't have like a 30 game season or it would be, I mean, your pitcher would only have a very, very small sample size. So I'm you do have to play a good amount. But. Don't play every single day. That could help too. <laughs> Give yourself a little bit of rest and, you know, have the same time frame basically. Like still start in that April time and still end in October, but thin yeah, out I the mean, schedule the a bit. The NBA has too many games, and that's 82 games. Like, do we really need the Braves and the Nationals to play 19 times? <laughs> Because they no. play like 19 no, times. It's like we, <laughs> we got to know already. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it sometimes can get a, a little bit excessive. But uh, moving on now, we can look ahead to a little bit of soccer, which is not um, a crazy amount of news because we're not going to go through all I'm, – I'm not really going to touch anything MLS or really big international until we get to sort of big moments in that, which we are approaching. MLS playoffs are coming, but not going to touch that until a little later. Um but the big news was the U.S. men's national team as they marching towards their World Cup qualification. And it wasn't a great start. Uh, draws against El Salvador and Canada. Um, scoreless against El Salvador, 1-1 Canada. Had a lot of people really worried. But then, finally, the floodgates opened. We played against Honduras, and we were actually down 1-0. Um, the comment sections on Twitter were quite entertaining, but also saddening. And then, finally... We had the breakthrough, and the U.S. scored four goals in a row to win 4-1, to one, a really big win that we desperately needed. Uh, despite that, we actually did fall from the number 10 rankings to number 13 in the global FIFA rankings, uh, which makes sense. Um, and the reason why those rankings actually are incredibly significant is because it's the pots in the World Cup. I don't know if you knew how that works in the World Cup, how they determine who goes in what group, is you pick teams from each of like pots 1, 2, 3, and 4, 
And pot one is obviously the big time sort of top 10, top 15 kind of teams. Pot two are mostly like the pretty solid, but not world beating teams. Pot three are like the okay-ish decent teams. And then pot four, either the super small countries or the countries that barely qualified. So do you really want to be pot one? USA typically is pot two. Um, but being pot one is going to be very, very helpful in terms of who we're going to play. Cause that means that every team in our group should, should be worse than us, which we again would hope so maybe, but if we end up our strong run, cause still number 13 for us is still pretty solid as well as number 10. So if we keep that up, we'll be doing good. But uh, next game is actually not for a little bit. Um, cause again, this was also last week, this match, uh, our next game up against is against Jamaica on October 7th, which is very helpful considering Jamaica is one of the weaker teams in the octagon that we explained last podcast um, about what teams are left. And also Ricardo Pepe, shout out to him. He's the guy that scored uh, the big goal to get the lead, to get the U.S. above. He also had two assists in the game. And the reason why I shout him out is because Pepe has been an absolute star this year at FC Dallas. He's been blowing up big with the men's national team. And he was a guy that was on uh, the – minor league team that I helped work for in North Texas when I did that two years ago when I photographed the team and I actually have a bunch of shots of Pepe. So um, I may put those up a little bit on some social media soon because of him being so good. So that was pretty cool to see him being as good as he is while I, I was able to work with him and um, didn't know him that much personally just because he was already involved in FC Dallas by that point because I mean, he scored a hat trick in his first game ever at 16 years old for the minor league team. So it was like <laughs> pretty clear he wasn't staying there long, but um, it's pretty exciting to see that team start to get a little bit of energy with this new life, these new players that we really, really lacked uh, back last uh, time we tried to get to the World Cup and, of course, failed. So nice to see a little bit of energy in this unit again. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to some American football where there was a big week in week two. Uh, some really interesting stuff happening, uh, some upsets going down, uh, some near upsets going down. Uh, and this is what makes college football fun. Uh, and what we really I think we missed this a lot last year, especially in the first couple of weeks, not getting the non-conference games. Um, I, I certainly missed uh, the energy and the electricity. Um, of some of these non-conference games and the the weird, weird things. Uh, that can happen in the first few weeks of the season. Upcoming this weekend, we've got Penn State versus Auburn, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I, I assume we'll we'll talk about that at some point, just to mention it, get get a couple predictions in there. But first, we have our biggest winners and losers from the past week. Uh, like last time, we will alternate uh, between our winners and then alternate between our losers. So Jack, why don't you go first? Who are your, uh, or who is your first winner uh, from this past weekend? Well, my first big winner is, uh, and I've dubbed it. And again, all this stuff is also on GTD sports on the blog. I write these blog posts every week on my winners and losers to dive a little deeper into them. But um, we of course talked about them here, but uh, my first one is I dubbed the Magnolia monsters. It has been a quite a while since we've seen the state of Mississippi actually do anything relevant in football, um, especially as the state, not just as uh, just one team, or the other. And that was back in 2014 when both Mississippi state and Ole Miss were ranked in the top 10. What a wild year. We don't really talk about how insane 2014 was. Cause not only were those two teams top 10, but Mississippi state was number one. TCU is top 10. Baylor was top 10. Georgia tech was top 10. 
And even Kansas State was sneaking in. So 2014 was a crazy year in college football. One of my favorite personal years that I've ever watched um, in my many years of watching college football, at least in my youth. But that was pretty fun. And again, I'm not saying that Mississippi State and Ole Miss are both top 10 teams right now, but they both had really big time last couple of weeks. And I get that Ole Miss beat a poor team in Austin. Isn't Austin P as you pronounce it? Because I know that's a Tennessee school. Is that right? Uh, Austin P. Yes. Their, Austin P. Uh, so they, their, their motto uh, or their, their fan motto, I should say, is let's go P. And I wish I was joking. <laughs> Well, at least they're having fun, but <laughs> but there is that, and yeah. uh, and Ole Miss obviously getting a big win over them wasn't really significant, but then Mississippi State getting a win over NC State was one I did not see coming. I really thought uh, NC State was one of the better teams in the ACC Atlantic, which again may speak to the ACC not right. being very good, but Mississippi State played really well, and this is after a week where they almost lost to Louisiana Tech and somehow yeah. pulled it out, and Mississippi State's a team that easily could be 0-2, and they're 2-0, and and so... Big respect to the Bulldogs for actually coming out of a decent year when many people thought they were going to be pretty low on the SEC West totem pole, which they still may be, but it's a long season ahead, and they still are 2-0 and is 2-0. Um, also, Ole Miss still 2-0, and and they've had a very strong two weeks. Their offense going off. Again, haven't played exactly the best defenses yet, but they still are doing as good as you can ask. So uh, very impressed so far with Mississippi, the whole state, which, again, wouldn't really have thought I was going to be saying that. So I think they've done well so far. Yeah, I, I actually bet on NC State uh, only to find out <laughs> they got absolutely smoked by Mississippi State. Uh, really, you could call the SEC uh, a winner this week in general, even though SEC teams don't like to you know play big non-conference games against opponents that they can lose to. Uh, it, the Mississippi State game was an exception to that uh, for sure. My first winner is the obvious one, Mario Cristobal. I mean, the, can you think of a bigger win from an Oregon program that – I mean, what program needed this win more than Oregon? Uh, it's it's hard to say because, I mean, we, we even last week, not to interrupt your point here, but even last week we talked about how Oregon could not cover against Fresno State, and we both said ahead of time they're not going to cover against Fresno State. At least I know I was harping on that, and I was right – and then we have Oregon against Ohio State. And again, I'm following us on Twitter that I don't know if you all have seen the picks. We talked about the picks, of course, about 10 minutes ago. But on the picks, we both said Ohio State. And I was fairly confident in that, as well as I think most of the sports media world. And we were pretty wrong. And I think that Oregon really proved that they deserve to be a playoff contending team. And I know it's been a while since the Pac-12 team has really been a contender in the playoffs. But I think Oregon may be turning that around this year. No, yeah, and there is not a team in the country that needed it more. I mean, when is the last time we thought of Oregon getting a big-time win? They got schlaughter-glocked, to make up a term there, uh, by uh, Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl last year. I think it was the Fiesta Bowl. Um, It was. They got a win against a USC team that barely won all of their games last year. Um, and whose coach got fired two weeks in this year. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, I mean, I, I, I keep going back to it. There's not a program in the country that needed this more. And it really, on the same week that Clay Helton got fired, Mario Cristobal is the big winner here because this is going to do numbers for them in recruiting. Uh, I uh, Great timing a, for Oregon. I read a post 
from a uh, from a journalist that said that Oregon players were going up to the about 150 Ohio State recruits that were in the stands saying, hey, come join us. Come join up. Um, just a big win for the Ducks overall and a huge win for that program. Really a staple win for Mario Cristobal in a game where they really didn't – the quarterbacking wasn't that great for Oregon, but the run game and the defense – uh, showed up for the most part. So big win for Oregon. That's my first winner and the most obvious winner of the week. Uh, for me next, I have a little bit of a shift back to the Midwest, and I'm going to go with the Big Ten Dark Horse teams. And basically this is a little bit going off your point off of, um, of Ohio State tripping here because it's pretty rare to see Ohio State tripping up. And again, it's against Oregon. It's not like they lost to like the Purdue game a couple years ago, which, boy, was that fun. But – Big Ten Dark Horses really had a big win this week. And by Dark Horses, there really are two teams that I'm thinking of, and I'm certain you know what I'm thinking of here, and that's Iowa and Penn State. Two teams that really need to be big-time teams this year. And I get that Penn State didn't exactly have the hardest game this week. Again, kind of like the old Miss thing where they're just sort of staying afloat and doing well. Of course, this weekend, we'll get to that later, of getting a big win. But even then, Ball State is not an awful team. Ball State won the MAC last year. They are really strong. I talked about them in our preview as being a decent team. They're not going to be some rollover joke team this year. And Penn State made them look like that. They made Ball State look awful. And they're not an awful team by any stretch of the means. So it's still a big win for the Nittany Lions. Of course, next week with Auburn, we'll preview that in a minute. But that's going to be obviously a huge game. But the big winner this week was Iowa, a game that I confidently picked Iowa in. And I thought, and, and again, there was a lot of talk about, oh, well, maybe Iowa State has the jitters the first week. And maybe because it's Northern Illinois, 16 to 10 win, like, ah, maybe it won't be that good. But, and I was saying, yeah, but look at how Hall did. Because I was like, Hall's the guy that no matter what should be doing everything for you on offense. And he just kind of didn't do anything. And well, I'm like, Brock Purdy didn't help him out. Let's not. No, Let's no, and he was sugarcoat that Brock Purdy is exactly who we thought he was. Which no, and and that's true. And that's true. But still, Hall going 69 yards on 16 carries. Nice. That's not the whole <laughs> indeed, but that's not the whole we know. And that's why I was confused that even though, of course, Purdy's play was terrible, he's not blocking for Hall. And at the end of the day, Hall was getting those huge numbers. We previewed him this year. I know I made a big point about him being some crazy dark horse for the Heisman. And of course, that ended up being very wrong, at least so far. And I will look like a really good top 10 solid team. And they proved themselves to be. And now they're sitting there. They're at number 10 when they won. Um, they've now moved up to uh, number five, which is a big jump. But I think it's a worthy jump. I think Iowa's a really dangerous team this year. And they don't have to play Ohio State until if they end up going all the way and going to the Big Ten Championship. So they can avoid that game. They can keep on going through. And I can actually look up and see um, – who else they have to do with? I mean, I know Kent State's this week, which is not hard, and then Colorado State. But the big game next up for, for Iowa is going to be Penn State um, on October 9th at home, though. Big that's at home. The only real tough road game they got to play this year is going to be at Wisconsin. But other than that, this could be a really big year for Iowa. Yeah, I would not be surprised if that was college game day, the Iowa-Penn State game, uh, assuming Penn State wins this weekend um, and impresses mm -hmm. against Auburn. Uh, which I've got some questions about, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. But my second winner goes along with that. I'm going to go with Jim Harbaugh. Um, not because they beat Washington, but because of the way that they beat Washington. You mean Jimothy? Rolling the ground game. 
which is exactly what Jim Harbaugh wants to do, despite being uh, a former quarterback. They won this game 31 to 10, uh, held Washington, who's put multiple good running backs in the NFL, uh, to 32, uh, sorry, 50 yards on 32 rushes, no rushing touchdowns. Um, and get this for Michigan. Uh, they were 7 for 15 through the air, but 56 carries for four, sorry, 343 yards and four touchdowns on the ground. Lord. This is Big Ten football. Um, and I, I think I almost put for the second week in a row Big Ten football as a winner. Uh, but I'm going to go with Jim Harbaugh because I feel like this was a game where Michigan needed to dominate against a Washington team that looks absolutely awful. Uh, I Yeah, I they're in shambles. <laughs> I didn't want to repeat one, but Jimmy Lake is definitely a loser this week uh, because Washington looks terrible. Um, and, and Michigan needed to come out and dominate this game, and they absolutely did so. I think Michigan could knock someone off this year. I don't know if it's going to be Ohio State. In fact, it's probably not going to be Ohio State, but I think they could definitely knock off someone. So, Jim Harbaugh, you're a winner this week. I'm actually kind of interested to see, uh, not this week, but next week, is going to be Washington against Cal. And I think that may be an interesting game to see. Of like, I would predict Washington would bounce back against Arkansas State this week. I mean, dear Lord. But could be an that game could be a new barometer. Uh, that that could be. I'm I'm interested to see how that game's going to go. Again, yeah, I was saying TCU. We'll get to that game a little later, but um, kind of how Cal will do this year. But uh, my last winner up here is I had a little fun with this one, and I said Team Jesus. God was winning a lot this week, and the reason why is because all of the religious schools seem to do pretty well. Uh, starting off, we had uh, Notre Dame do great. Uh, well, well, great in the last few minutes. Um. Once again, Notre Dame had a classic, a classic Notre Dame game. They do this every single year where they play some team that they're way better than, bring it all the way down in a somewhat low scoring sometimes, like not like 40-something, 40-something game. And they look like a joke the whole game. And some miraculous way, they pull it out in the end. And most of the pollsters still sit there and say, that's still a really good team. And fortunately, they were dropped out of the top 10 for this, which thank God they were. But they took Toledo to the wire. Uh, Notre Dame Jack Cohn actually threw a game-winning touchdown with a dislocated finger, which was pretty impressive, but still looked not as great as he did against Florida State, against, again, Toledo. So not exactly the most confident that I've ever seen this team go, but it it was a little uh, interesting how they did it. But still, miracles happen, and Notre Dame came out with a win here. Uh, the other teams that are still religious that got a win is uh, BYU getting a big statement win against Utah. Utah team that a lot of people had as a dark horse in the Pac-12 South. I wasn't as high on them as I was with Arizona State, which so far that take is aging really well. So happy with that. But yeah, Utah fell very flat in the Holy War. BYU came out and got a big win um, in what's always an exciting game. Always tend to enjoy uh, the Holy War games. But uh, 26-17 and some very late night Pac-12 uh, Jaron Hall looked really good um, for BYU in that game with three scores. And then the last few teams are just the coalition of Texas religious schools, some of them more religious than others, very obviously, and that's SMU, TCU, and Baylor all getting wins this weekend um, and all looking pretty good in them. Uh, TCU over Cal, Baylor over, I want to say, it wasn't somebody very good. It was sort of a smaller game. Um, 
Baylor against Texas Southern, yeah, 66 to 7. It was not a very competitive game. And then um, lastly, in the American Conference, we go to um, SMU, who won pretty easily over North Texas, um, actually going down 3 uh, nothing in the first quarter and uh, seven a 7-6 seven, lead at halftime, but pulled out a really strong win there. So good work for the Mustangs and the rest of the somewhat religious but also religious crew. So go Team Jesus this week. <laughs> All right. Yeah, go team Jesus. Uh, I had the Big 12 as winners, um, not just because teams in the Big 12 won this weekend, but because Texas got absolutely destroyed by Arkansas. Welcome to the SEC, Texas. You lost to like the second worst team in that conference. Um, Uh. This is horrible. For Sark, this is a bad look. That Texas team looked like they wanted absolutely no part of defending the run against Arkansas. Arkansas dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, Texas's five-star recruits looked nowhere to be found. Hudson Card was terrible. Bijan Robinson was absolutely atrocious. Um, Which, where did that come from? (laughs) This is a huge win for the Big 12 because – All of the teams that are joining the Big 12 when Texas and Oklahoma leave won this weekend while Texas got destroyed by a low-tier SEC team. And I don't know if you could ask for much more from the Big 12. Are we really getting worse or are we just weeding out one of the most average teams in our conference? And this goes to my entire point when I found out that, that Texas was leaving for the SEC which is have fun being Mississippi State. That's what Texas is going to be. They're going to be kind of frisky every few years, but never really do much better than like eight and four. And that's what Texas is going to be in the SEC. Uh, Yeah, go Big 12. Um, All those teams that are joining the Big 12, BYU, uh, Cincinnati, UCF, and why am I forgetting the fourth one? Houston all won last weekend while – Texas uh, horns down lost last weekend in embarrassing fashion in Fayetteville. Uh, so the Big 12 was a big winner this weekend. Well, uh, to go off then to losers, which actually is a great transition piece, which that is a great winner. That's probably one of the best ones of the week. But um, on my big loser list, which I think this one was very fitting, was not just the bigger Texas schools, because I know we mentioned the three religious Texas school winning, and of course those are three smaller Texas schools and TCU, Baylor, SMU, but confidence in the big Texas schools hurt. Not just the big Texas, but the confidence in them. And the reason why I say just confidence is because Texas A&M, we're not going to let you get away either, because they looked absolutely awful against Colorado. And I get that was in Denver. I get that was in Denver a mile high, and I get that is more difficult. But first of all... First of all, why would you schedule that? What is the point of making that game way more difficult for you than it needs to be? Because if you lose that game, it's a colossal failure. If you win it, it really doesn't help you at all because Colorado's not a huge competitor. how much money and exposure are you really getting from playing a neutral fight game against the Buffs? I don't un- – I really don't understand that game. And then and they looked really bad. They well, looked the terrible. The 12 matchup was probably the sentiment, and they probably scheduled this game 10 years ago. Uh, but, yeah, it was an old Big 12 matchup. I think that was the sentiment there. But, again, just embarrassing 
for yeah, Texas A and M to even make it, it close. I am really and barely won. They barely won. Like it was to formally rescind my Texas A and M will win the West this year pick. Because uh, this yeah, game, I was never confident in that. I was, I was still saying from the very start. I said it's still Alabama's to lose. A and M can do as much as they want and great as they can be, but they still won't touch them. And it, uh, Calzada, the starting quarterback for A and M, eighteen for thirty-eight, one eighty-three yards and a touchdown against Colorado. So and it's, I thought Kellen Mond was <laughs> impressive. I mean, and Colorado still should have won this game. They still were favored pretty much the entire second half and still lost. So. If that goes to show you anything about Colorado, but and then just to have my two cents of a take on the Texas game, um, yeah, because they didn't, they didn't. I mean, they got bodied in this game. This was not a close game. It like was it was not, forty to twenty-one, and it <laughs> this is not close. close. It didn't look close at any point. Arkansas came out of the gates uh, pumped and jacked and ready to go, and Texas looked like they were just going through the motions, and they thought that their talent could win them this game. Sark. Buddy, what are you doing? 33 to 7 at the end of the third quarter. I mean, people were just like leaving the state. I mean, and of course, this everyone rushed the field, goalposts came down. And my favorite part is that Arkansas was in rank number 20 after this game. And that and and I don't know if it's deja vu, but didn't the same thing happen when TCU played Texas? What was it a year ago, two years ago, when they were number 15, came into TCU? Everybody said, Oh, watch them choke this game. And then they choked it, and then TCU was ranked. Every year they do that, where they come in at that middle teens ranking after beating a nobody school, and then or somebody decent like Louisiana is decent, and then totally lay an egg against a team that you're favored against should do well and is on the road, but you still are favored against the should beat. And they do this every single year, and they did it against against Arkansas. Which yes, the fact this was an SEC team is the reason why we keep harping on it as like. You that's the one thing that Texas can't do is blow the SEC game. If you're gonna join the SEC, if you're gonna talk yourself up, oh, low tier SEC game. You, you it's can't, one thing you that they can't, lost you can't. to Texas. When, I mean, that they lost to LSU when Joe Burrow was there. That's one thing. Losing to Arkansas <laughs> by a lot, <laughs> dominated by Arkansas. That's where I draw God. the line. Um, but let's move on. Uh, I'm going to go for my loser here. My first loser is the Pac-12 South. Utah got beat by a BYU team that only returned like 25% of their production from last year, which I get a lot of that was Zach Wilson, but they lost a lot of their receiving talent as well. Um, and I get that the Holy War is always like a really weird game, and that's actually why I live bet BYU uh, a little fade myself after losing a bunch of bets early in the day. Um, but still not a good look from a power five conference team to lose to BYU who only really put up the numbers they did last year against uh, non power five and like FCS talent um, and then returned 25% of their production uh, just a bad look for Kyle Whittingham and uh, former BYU coach, by the way, Kyle Whittingham uh, and the Utah Utes who were ranked and were supposed to be kind of a Pac-12 South dark horse this year. But the big story out of the Pac-12 this week is Clay Helton getting canned after week two 
of the season. And my question is, could you not have just done this last year after they blew the Pac-12 championship to a really subpar Oregon squad? Who didn't even win the North. I mean, they only got there because of the COVID rule against Washington, and they still lost. (laughs) They got killed by Stanford. And when I say they got killed by Stanford, like – Halfway through the game, I think USC was still favored by five and a half or something. Depend, I mean, uh, even when they were down two touchdowns, and Stanford just ran over them. Let's not forget this is forty-two thirteen with five Let's minutes or six minutes not to go. Yeah, forget that this is a Stanford team that got demolished by K State in Week One, coming out here and destroying USC in the Coliseum. And again, I ask, why was this the final straw for Clay Helton? You've had 1,500 to pick from, so I guess they just finally gave up and said, fine, here, geez, leave. (laughs) I mean, and I I understand it. I mean, as someone that has followed USC somewhat on and off over the last few years, it's a team that's just sort of struggling. And yeah, it's a team with – endlessly high expectations as they mostly should have and you know if you're going to have those expectations you have to deliver on them and it's been quite a while since they really delivered even though if you look at his overall record at usc it hasn't been that terrible but they're never contenders and at usc you need to be a contender you are the west coast you are west coast football and they have not been and it's been oregon taking over on that and oregon still hasn't even gotten that close to national title only had one real crack at it and lost back in 2014 so Maybe this year, maybe the year they finally get another crack at it. But it's USC should be that team getting those nods. And I think finally that the upper board of, of the athletic department there has realized, like, why is that not us every year? And so I think that was finally the straw that, that broke Campbell's back. Loser number two for you. It's an interesting one. You waiting for me to say it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I'm sorry. I forgot that you were going. Um, I, that it was going back to me. I thought you were going to go next. My bad. I'm lost. Um, next up is the the state of Ohio. Uh, just the the whole state. Just throw it away because the state of Ohio was depressingly poor this weekend. I know we actually have gone over a bunch of these games with Toledo, uh, basically having a win against the bag against Notre Dame and blowing that away. You had Ohio State being absolutely terrible against a Oregon team that was still a really good Oregon team, but a team that you should still be able to handle. Um, Overall, basically most of the Ohio games ended up being very disappointing. A lot of losing teams, a lot of things you sort of have to look at and go, is that really the best you got? I mean, even ball state is, um, I think is ball state. Is that Indiana? That is Indiana. Sorry. Um, Singing the Mac, the Mac is like 80% Ohio. Um, which overall didn't really do particularly fantastic this weekend. But it's just sort of a a whole state of football that could have been a lot better uh, that really ended up being quite disappointing across the board. I'm trying to look if there are any other games on here um, worth that. Oh, yeah, (laughs) almost forgot about this one, uh, which actually I'm going to highlight this a little bit later in the uh, Pain Olympics, but there are um, two more – sorry, three more. Three more games that were uh, absolutely pathetic on the state of Ohio's part. Remember that Duquesne team that TCU played last week that we beat 45 to three? They beat Ohio. They beat them. <laughs> They're at FCS school, who is not a good FCS school. And they beat Ohio. Mind you, 
Ohio was the team that Syracuse destroyed week one, like killed in their own stadium, which then Syracuse went on to lose to Rutgers, which again, that's, that's pain Olympics too, because it's my pain. But how do you lose to Duquesne at home? And so now Ohio's 0-2, 0-2 at home. To add to that, Akron played Temple. Temple is a bad football team. If you want to know how bad, they lost to Rutgers 61-14. to And then Temple beat Akron 45-24. My God. That's <laughs> Transitive not. property. Transitive property, that's like an 80-point loss. So if there's one thing we know, it's that if it's between Oregon and Ohio State, Ohio State's making the playoffs. And that's true because they have the Ohio State bump. And the last uh, school just to highlight here on some Ohio being bad and some Ohio slander is um, another sort of irrelevant MAC team, and that's South Alabama Bowling Green, which Bowling Green lost 22-19. Again, another home game, uh, and Bowling Green is 0-2. Last second field goal was good. Uh, If you want to know the scoreline, it was actually 8-0 after the first quarter Bowling Green, and then it was 19-12 Bowling Green at the start of the fourth quarter. And (laughs) – with one minute and th- and 40 seconds to go, it was still 19 to 12. Bowling Green was leading. And then 10 points straight in the final minute, 39 seconds, and South Alabama won. So it is just, uh, yeah, state of Ohio looked about as bad as you can get this weekend. So shout out that state for losing a lot. <laughs> nice. Great job, Ohio. Um, I'm actually going to combo my two and three here because they both kind of uh, have the same theme to them, which is teams that won against teams they should have blown out. And there's a difference. Um, my first one is Gary Patterson. Because Gary Patterson prides himself on playing defense um, and having the best defense in the Big 12 pretty much year in, year out, uh, and being one of the best, brightest defensive minds in the country running the three, three, five and the defense looked terrible against a Cal team that I really don't think is very good this year. And I'm just wondering at, at what point uh, is, is the new big 12 just going to become a group of five team or a group of five conference? Because if you're going to go down to the wire against Cal and you want to call yourself a ranked team uh, and a contender in a power five conference, I'm not sure uh, that that's the way to go. Um, I think Gary's obviously I've been way more critical than most TCU fans of Gary Patterson, uh, especially over the last few years. And I want to trust Gary Patterson, uh, but Max Duggan doesn't look like he's coming along like he should. And the defense uh, does not look good. Um, so Gary Patterson is loser number one out of that crew. And loser number two is Manny Diaz, uh, the coach of the University of Miami, who was also not good against a team they should have blown out. If you want to call yourself an ACC coastal contender um, and someone who can even compete on the same field as Clemson, You cannot have games like they just had against App State. That one went down to the wire. Uh, Once again, Miami doesn't look great uh, for week two out of two. And I get coming off of Bama, you know, that will take a lot out of you. But let's be honest, that wasn't a very competitive game. Uh, So I don't know how much it did take out of them. 
Uh, Manny Diaz is a big loser this week. And Jack, who is your last loser? Because I actually um. I actually want to make a couple of points on that because I did want to talk a little bit about about those games because I actually picked App State to get the upset and I almost was right. <laughs> like I really was pretty confident Miami would blow that and I was so close to being right and it missed out. Um, also wanted to shout out Miami just for having a really fun non-conference schedule because they have yeah. Alabama, App State, Michigan State, and then at CCSU, which I'm, I'm not entirely sure, oh, Central Connecticut. So it's a very fun non-conference schedule. So shout out Miami. Um, the Michigan State it. game be fun, which uh, Miami is heavily. Yeah, they're heavily projected to win Miami against Michigan State, which I, I, I don't know about that, but um, yeah, they're saying like sixty six percent chance for Miami to beat Michigan State, which I'm gonna say that's a whole lot of cap on that yeah, call. I but the Michigan um, State spread on that, I'm gonna go ahead and put that pick <laughs> in. What, yeah. what the spread is on that game? Uh, the spread right now might not exist yet i don't know it just oh, had the espn matchup predictor lines are out i'll check on that okay and again michigan state hasn't exactly played the top tier opponents either but they've also looked way better against two teams than miami but anyway just take on that miami yeah this is a team that's been drastically disappointing michigan state game is going to be a big one considering that playing alabama who is absurdly good and then app state who is not bad but still kind of middling and then michigan state who's a decent big 10 team this year and then ccsu then virginia then you have at UNC. That's going to be sort of the big, big game um, in the ACC that I'm excited to look forward to. Um, they also just played Virginia Tech second to last game, which that'll be big too. Duke will be their last game of the season, um, which obviously won't be too difficult for them. But yeah, Miami being very disappointing. And then my take on TCU, um, if I have to pick one winner from this game though, finally we have some consistent, really good play from Zach Evans, who I've been touting for a while. And wow, he was really good. Uh 22 carries, 190 yards, and a touchdown. So very impressed with his production. Uh, could have been in the end zone a little more, but again, 190 yards, uh, that's ridiculous, so you can't complain about that. Quentin Johnson also looks solid with five receptions, 95 yards, and two scores. And Gary Patterson is still undefeated against Pac-12 schools, which is a stat that we all love to see, um, which is very humorous to me. But my one loser, and to finish up this segment, um, is just Florida State. And I had nothing clever here, nothing funny, just Florida State. Because Florida State is funny by itself. You don't need to add a joke to make fun of Florida State because they Florida State, folks, it is the punchline. And once again, Florida State has sold their soul to get that 2013 title because it is just the Grim Reaper has, has welcomed himself to Tallahassee. And we can see that again in the form this time of Jacksonville State. <laughs> now, Jacksonville State is not particularly the greatest program in the world. In fact, they are an FCS school who has done not too much in their entire career, including not beat Florida State. Because fun fact, zero FCS schools have beaten Florida State until this weekend, and it was Jacksonville State. And the and last on play of the game... Mary, no less. On a Hail Mary. If you haven't watched the last play... Man cover two on the rush last play of the game. And, and, they, and they rush four for no reason. And I get that. I mean, why would you rush four? Why? I don't understand. Three. Drop back and prevent. <laughs> they teach us this in high school football. No one plays man cover two on the last play of the game. I don't even do this in Madden. Like, I don't even do it in a video game. I wouldn't do that because I would think, oh, they might score me. Even in a video game where they're probably not going to. And even in the NFL video game where it never happens. But here, I mean, oh, my God. God, it's Jacksonville State. And this team, 
just looked like the better team. It was 17-7, to uh, Florida State leading at the beginning of the fourth quarter. In fact, it was actually 17-7 with five minutes to go. Still, double-digit lead with five minutes to go, and they still managed to blow it. Uh, and, yeah, that last play of the game was simply ridiculous. Quarterback dropped back from about the 41-yard line and went all the way back to about the 32 and launched it deep. Guy caught it at the 20 with two men between him and the end zone. So it still was a terrible odds to score. And I'm going through the play right now. And then he cut back at the 10-yard line. I mean, it's actually unbelievable. And I'm going to – um, I'm actually going to go right now. And because now we have video and we can share our screen. And so I'm going to go and just let the play play. Because I, if, if anyone's watching this or if you're coming back on it, you need to see this slide because it is simply comical <laughs> how this Florida State team did this and is a team that's still begging to look for answers. Because the saddest thing is that last week we had just a tiny bit of faith. I had a tiny bit of faith because I was like, you know, Notre Dame we knew was overrated, but like, Still, they played a solid game. And then you do that, and it's like, ugh, why? Why would you do that? And so, yeah, I'm going to go ahead, and um, I'm going to share my screen on this end of it. But uh, it, it, is just, it is just ridiculous. So here's a, here's a view of all of us together. And uh, can you see that right here? Does it look fine for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it looks good for me. And, well, I guess this isn't working. But um, Can you not go full screen? No, I'm trying to see if I can, maybe on this play, but uh, I'll get it in a second. But anyway, yeah, it's still – there we go. So, no, because this, this play needs to be played. <laughs> um, there we go. Oh. <laughs> he had him dead to <laughs> right. back. He had That's him back. dead to rights. He was on his back. I mean, it is – the best part, look at the cheerleaders at the bottom. Best part. Oh, <laughs> With yeah. the outer sign, best part is right here. And they're just like in absolute shambles. <laughs> and, and that, the look on their faces, and here's even, here's even the, the redo. Look at is this. priceless. I mean, great pass, too. Excellent pass. And then just shakes them off. I mean, her, I mean, oh. It's just it's just one of those things where you have to look at it and go like, is that is that what all you got? Is that the best you can do? And the answer for Florida State is yes, that is the best they can do. That's the best they can do. And with that, that's going to sum up the rest of our things. I think we're going to basically do it like that now. We just sort of go through uh, winners and losers and recap everything else from there. Yeah, we Agony Olympics in um, the games anyway. Yeah, Agony Olympics, we basically covered everything we had to. The only other couple of points to add to this, just to throw more pain in the fire, is uh, UConn lost 0-49 to against Purdue. I, I, I Disband the program. Stop playing football. Don't do it anymore. Basketball um, cool, baby. Uh, Vanderbilt actually won a game. They beat Colorado State, who also lost to South Dakota State last week. So, yeah, Colorado State's officially worse than Vanderbilt. And uh, again, the Rutgers Syracuse game. I actually photographed that game. I um I'm shooting all the games for Sports Illustrated this year as an intern, and uh, and yeah, that game was pretty sad. Seventeen to seven, and I was there for over five hours at that game, and I was like, why am I here? Though I will admit, the Carrier Dome with the renovations is really really cool. So what they redid with the roof and the giant scoreboard above, it's a great place to watch a game, even if the team is bad. So uh, shout out to the Carrier Dome for being a pretty cool place to watch a game. Very, very, very excited for basketball season. Please arrive quickly. But um, next up to roll through our top 25. Always good to look through and see where the rankings go, especially with rankings that have been changing 
uh, oh so frequently. Alabama and Georgia still stick at your one and two, unsurprisingly, both getting easy wins. Uh, Oklahoma shifts up one to number three. Oregon shoots up eight to number four. Uh, Iowa up five to five. Clemson still at six. A&M moved down two to number seven, which I think was very fair. Uh, Cincinnati goes down one to number eight, which is understandable. Um, And then Ohio State down six to number nine, which is sort of a wild move. And then rounding out our top ten, Penn State sneaks themselves in. Uh, other teams of note in here, uh, Notre Dame moved down four all the way to number 12. UCLA continues to move up. Iowa State shifts down. Virginia Tech up by a lot. Um, Old Miss move up three spots, as well as Arizona up by four. Arkansas shot into the rankings at number 20. Um, Auburn going up three in to get to the number 22 spot. Uh, BYU at 23 uh, was from unranked. Uh, Michigan also is um, at the 25 spot for not being ranked. And Texas, Utah, and USC move out. Top teams receiving votes are UCF, TCU, Liberty, Michigan State, and USC, which I USC just got to make the point. Vote? USC got fifth most in votes. A lot of teams got votes. But, um, yeah, Why? so here's the thing he's about. How? TCU was 26th last week, and then we beat Cal, and then we're 27th now. So Michigan jumps us after losing. Little after, after beating a Washington team that lost to the Montana Grizzlies. I mean, go Grizz, but – it's it's just it's because it's Michigan. That's the only reason I can think of is because their name is Michigan and our name is TCU. And I get you can say conspiracy theory, whatever, but it's sometimes kind of accurate. And based on watching what Ohio State did, I, that no longer is a crazy theory um, of teams just being able to jump around willy nilly. But um, yeah, a little disappointing there for TCU not being ranked. But I'm certain if we continue to keep winning, uh, that'll come eventually. So now we can move on to our first NFL weekly recaps of the week. We love talking about this. We love going through it. It's always so much fun. Um, again, in terms of our picks, we did go 8-8 eight and eight this week. It, it, we, it, you'll know if you keep following the podcast, it is remarkable how much that we either get very close or tied, despite picking usually pretty often different picks. We had, I think, four or five pick differently picked games and still finish tied. It's kind of amazing. In fact, I was actually ahead by one game. And I had Baltimore getting the win, and you had Vegas. And uh, <laughs> we'll get to that game later. But um, ended up being ridiculous. And actually, we can go ahead and kick off with that game, considering that I had game of the week being different. But after watching that game, I was like, nope, this is game of the week and could be game of the year. And that was, um, again, Baltimore versus Vegas. Game of the year. Usually, game of the year is reserved for two teams that actually play well. Hey, this is so far. This has been the most entertaining game so far. We've only oh, had yeah. one week, but by far the most entertaining game. And uh, yeah, this was absolutely insane. So Baltimore took a commanding 14 to nothing lead, but ended up getting tied 17 all with six minutes to go. Two traded touchdowns brought it back tied, and then Tucker's field goal with 37 seconds left. I then thought it was over, but then Carlson responded with his own field goal with two seconds left to send it to OT. Vegas then drove the whole length of the field and then scored a touchdown. Game over. All the players rushing onto the field, but they called it off because I think it was Hunter Renfro was, was when he scored. It was short, and it was the right call. He was short. And then, like, the next play, or like a play later, interception, Baltimore gets the ball back. And then, like, two plays after that, Lamar Jackson fumbles the ball away, and then Vegas scores a touchdown anyway and ends up winning the game. And I was like, oh, my God, first game at Allegiant Field with fans. So, I mean, wow, what an opening for fans. But what was that? (laughs) What was that? It was Lamar Jackson not being able to pass in the second half. And it looked like they were very content to just keep the ball on the ground and try to churn out some clock. 
but the Baltimore secondary couldn't uh, couldn't hold up uh, after the injury to Marcus Peters. This secondary looked very weak, and for as strong as we consider this front seven to be, um, especially at the beginning of the year, I thought they looked very weak, um, especially against a Las Vegas Raiders team that looked pretty uninterested in rushing the ball. I know Josh Jacobs got a little banged up this week. Um, Derek Carr ended up 34 for 56, 435 yards, two touchdowns, and one uh, one pick. So, yeah, I mean, just an awful effort from the Baltimore Ravens' second half. It seems like they love uh, to play these close games uh, where they take an early lead and then just try to, you know, kind of pitter-patter through the rest of the game. Fun fact here, Baltimore has never won a game that went into overtime. I don't know about never, but Seriously? under John, sorry, under John Harbaugh, I believe is the stat. They have never okay. won a game that went into overtime. Wow. Um, look, I know it's the cliche thing to say. I know he was still 19 for 30, but at a certain point, Lamar Jackson and I realize that they they don't have the greatest receiving core in the world, but you got to step up at some point. And he's but still it's not terrible either. I mean, and that's what he brings to the table. But only 235 yards is not going to get it done against a team that has a terrible secondary. The Raiders' yeah, secondary yeah. is horrendous. We've mm-hmm. been talking about this for two years. They've been wasting terrible gra- terrible draft picks. Think they signed Gary and Conley last year. Um, they had Damon Arnett, who they picked in the first round, who was projected as a third rounder and has played like a sixth rounder so far. This Raiders defense is not great. Um, the right tackle, Alejandro Villanueva, a new signing from the Steelers, uh, looked like a very old man against Max Crosby, who had a field day out there. Uh, the Raiders were getting home their pass rush, and I realized that this is where John Gray, John Gruden and Mike Mayock uh, wanted to build their team uh, in the trenches. But I didn't think the Raiders' O-line looked particularly great either. Alex Leatherwood gave up a pretty embarrassing sack. Um, oh, yeah, he play. was, yeah. It, I, this game was just on both sides, just head-scratching to watch, to be honest. So I will give a big shout out to Darren Waller for not only uh, helping me in fantasy, but also just for being a pretty solid player. Ten receptions, 105 yards and a touchdown. And then I think I can't remember the exact stat, but I know that his targets, which were 19 targets, which also that's nine times he didn't get a catch, which is interesting. But 19 targets, I think, are the most by any one single receiver on any team in the last like six or seven years in a game. So if you have Darren Waller on your fantasy team, uh, especially in a PPR league, you're looking pretty happy right now, which is uh, me included. Um, so great work on him and also helping me win both my leagues last week. So love to see that. Uh, we also unfortunately lost. Our, our league ended up losing. Um, we were kind of back and forth. I think we needed Mark Andrews to go off, which I don't think he did. So unfortunate. Um, but looking on big thoughts on big teams is where we uh, run down and run through all of our big teams and what they've done that week. Um, we're, of course, going to limit it, talk about whatever team we do, because we're also running on 59 bad an hour right now. So we're going to kind of run through these relatively quickly and stick on the ones that are bigger and try to be a little quicker with the ones that don't. But we're still going to touch on every game for at least a little bit and go through um, what we got. So. 
Starting things off, we go in chronological order, of course, minus the game of the week, which was last in this case. But uh, first up, we have Thursday Night Football already a week ago now. That was Dallas-Tampa Bay in the debut game of the year. And this one, uh, the scoreboard was very interesting to see how these teams play because Brady had a pretty decent day and doing whatever he wanted. I mean, he had 379 yards, four touchdowns, did have two picks, but one of them was like a stupid one that bounced off of – I mean, it was – a very silly pick that wasn't really his fault. So there, there, it wasn't like that was a bad day for him. But you know who was very fraudulent in this game, which I was harping on all preseason, was Ezekiel Elliott. And I do know that it was against this Bucks front seven or front four that is a very good front four that's going to stop them, which is the reason why I'm not starting Mike Davis for the Falcons this week in fantasy. But 11 carries for 33 yards is not impressive. And I get that Fournette didn't really do much either, but I would think that Ezekiel Elliott is a better running back than Fournette right now. And 11 carries for 33 yards does not get me very excited about this player. And I get that Amari Cooper is the real highlight of this offense um, as well as Dak, but at least in week one, but I just, I don't know when Zeke is supposed to impress me again. I'm still waiting. Look, here's the thing. Zeke was mostly used as a sixth offensive lineman this week. And against the best rushing defense in the league from a year ago yeah. that brought back all their talent and added Joe Tryon uh, to this front. Yeah, again, I wasn't expecting him to get 200 yards or anything. No, and I realized that 11 carries for 39 is not great. 33. He did yeah. a great, great job in pass protection, keeping Dak clean. Uh, we know about Dak's injury issues over the last over last season especially and then through the uh preseason this year and this offensive line did a decent job against a great front of keeping Dak pretty clean throughout the game uh I know you had some qualms with Brady but I thought Brady played really well today uh or on Thursday and I mean, just a stellar oh, no, no. Again, understand that, I, again, I was talking about the picks being misnomers because one of them was like an accidental that was the receiver's fault, not his own. So it's more saying that, like, don't think of the two picks as two terrible decisions. It was sort of one bad one and then one kind of irrelevant one. So, no, I mean, against the Cowboys, which, again, is not a really great pass defense to be passing against. The big concern I had about this game wasn't really that at all because that was, again, Cowboys and you're fine, you win anyway. But my concern here was the Tampa Bay passing defense, because that was one that we know their running defense was the bread and butter of this team. But the passing defense kind of let Dak do whatever he wanted, which, again, being week one, we don't really know if this is just Dak Prescott being really elite now or if it was Tampa Bay faltering a little bit. We'll definitely see next week well, with they, Matt Ryan and the Falcons coming in. So we'll see you next week with that. I'll really say means. this. Um, and this is not an original take. I cannot remember where I heard this. I think it might have been on the athletic football show um, or, or it might have been on Bill Simmons. But either way, uh, the Tampa Bay defense, it's deep in the front seven, but it's not super deep in the secondary. And you forget that they're very young and they came along last mm-hmm. Well, one of those cornerbacks got hurt and I'm not I can't remember which one it was, but one of their cornerbacks got hurt in the first half, and that really hampered them for the rest of the game. Uh, But if the pass rush is not going to get home, I think that's what really propped up this Tampa Bay secondary last year. Now, I think Antoine Winfield Jr. is absolutely phenomenal back there. But Mm -hmm. if the pass rush isn't going to get home, I don't know that these corners can stick with elite offenses in coverage. Because what did we see in the Super Bowl last year? Mahomes was just getting peppered on every single play. Um, and still had a phenomenal performance. 
So, I again, I, I, I'm not super concerned for this Tampa Bay defense. I think Dallas is going to do this to pretty much everyone. Uh, and this was one of the games that I didn't write about in my NFL takeaways, which you can find on gtdsports.com. Um, but, yeah, I'm not super concerned about either team. I know it's an 0-1 in it's one in the loss column for Dallas, but I, I'm still not concerned. I think this offense is going to be elite, elite uh, the way that CD Lamb and Amari Cooper especially showed up. Um, and I've got well, that's another, what I'm yeah, I'm excited about that for this week. For the Bucks offense later um, in in our NFC Player of the Week. But let's move on to I'm so sorry, Jack Philadelphia. I, did, I didn't. I wanted to add one piece of note. I didn't know if you knew this yet, but just injury update. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence it had a broken foot. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. Didn't so that just that. makes it a little tougher. That's, that's yeah, so they play at, at LA Chargers next week. For a pass rush that was not deep to begin with. Um, but but mm-hmm. speaking, of, speaking of entirely lacking pass rush, uh, we've got Philadelphia versus the Atlanta Falcons. And in the uh, in the debut of Arthur Smith, the offensive guru uh, who I love, uh, who was supposed to revive this Falcons offense post Julio Jones, the Atlanta Falcons uh, scored zero touchdowns and two field goals, and once again looks like Matt Ryan might be the worst red zone quarterback in the entire league. Um, I'm I was gently uh, encouraged by Mike Davis's volume throughout the game, even though it wasn't a ton of production. But I actually, I know you're going to talk about the Falcons, so I actually want to go to the other side of this game, which is the Philadelphia Eagles. I thought this team was going to be bad this year. Why Why them? Why Jalen Hurts played really, really well. Um, and the offense looks like it's designed pretty well around them. Again, we'll see kind of in the second quarter of the season once they start to get more film on the offense if defenses start keying guys a little bit more. But Rager and Devontae Smith both scored touchdowns. Both looked impressive in this game. The Eagles were able to run the ball, and their defense looked very impressive. It looks like they could be loaded on the defensive front. So, Jack, I'm going to let you take it away. Uh, we both had the pain, the agony Olympics in the NFL this weekend. So, I'll oh, we'll get we'll get to you too. Yeah, <laughs> we will oh, get we'll to you get too. To but um, oh yeah, because at least you had expectations. So that's the one thing about this team is that uh, expectations were um, astronomically Fair. low, which uh, that's why. So we found out very quickly uh, why that was the case. Uh, biggest point I have to make about this is that we had 26 rushing attempts and only 21 receptions. Now, why is that? Because you have a team that you have Ridley, you have Pitts, you have Hurst, who was good last year. You have Davis, who can catch the ball. Pitts was you have, terrible. But you can catch. I'm just saying, like, your receiving court. You have Gage, who didn't even have any receptions. Two targets all game, which is mind-blowing to me because he was actually a pretty good third option last year. And then you just throw him away in the game plan for no reason. And then Pitts, who basically did nothing. You have Ridley, who was decent, had 51 yards on five receptions. That's not bad, but for Ridley, that's not very good. It just confused me. This game plan just confused me. And you have, again, Davis, 15 carries, 49 yards. Corderell Patterson actually was one of the highlights of this game. He looked pretty decent, kind of out of nowhere. But 
seven carries, 54 yards, and um, he also had two receptions for 13. So, again, not really bad as kind of your gadget player, but it just was a weird game. And it was a game that was a sad game because, again, watching most Falcons games is usually a sad game. But this one was especially depressing because you have a team that really just can't do anything, like, competent very often. And I don't really understand where the game plan is really going at this point, because you have a team that you have the new guy in that's meant to be your offensive firepower. You're going to say, Oh, you don't have Julio anymore, but that's okay. Because you have Calvin Ridley who's blowing up. You have Kyle Pitts. Who's like the highest drafted tight end in eons and a really, really good receiving option. And then you just don't use him very much. And instead rely on Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson who aren't bad, but you drafted Kyle Pitts for a reason use him you have the game plan for him you have Matt Ryan you have options and instead we just sort of said no and we're only one of two teams to not score a touchdown this weekend the only home team zero points in the second half and and it was both new head coaches it wasn't like this the whole time it was Nick um Nick Sirianni for for Philly and and then we even let Devonta Smith get his first NFL touchdown catch literally in the same spot as the 2018 title catch which thank God I'm not a Georgia fan or I may have had a heart attack at that of just pure agony. So uh, thank God that that at least wasn't fully painful for me, but because, Oh man, for Georgia and Falcons fans, that was a, who that was a rough day, but it just, I, I don't really know where to go again with Atlanta. It's just sort of like shrugging your head and what do you do? Um, and yeah, of course, when you click on the Falcons, you still have stupid things like seeing Tom Brady or say, sorry, seeing Stephen A say Matt Ryan is still needs to be held accountable for Super Bowl loss. So you still have ignorant takes like that still going around, which is very disappointing. Even when he has a bad game, you have to act like that's still a problem. Um, because last, of course, this next week playing up against the Bucks, which he still hasn't beat the Tom Brady, um, which of course is an asterisk because it's he plus his team hasn't beaten Tom Brady, which I will forever harp on that. That quarterbacks don't beat quarterbacks. Quarterback teams beat quarterback teams because who cares if your defense sucks? You're not going to win it against anybody. And yeah, the Falcons have a not very hard schedule, but the problem is, is that we are an easy team on people's schedule. So that makes us look not very good. So once again, the schedule's not going great. We don't look very good. We're looking ahead to next week, and what we got next week is at the Buccaneers, and that game could be quite painful. But yeah, this game was very depressing. The Falcons are not a very good team. I had hope in them preseason, and I still think that there's plenty of time to turn it around because at the end of the day, there have been, I mean, not, I get there's a colossal difference here, but there are teams that like the Packers this year, the Buccaneers last year. You can get blown out and look awful week one and still have a decent season. And I get they had way more to work with than us. I'm not saying we're going to win the Super Bowl or anything, obviously, but I'm not hitting the panic button right now with a brand new coach, a lot of new teammates. It's not panic time. If we're still losing week five or six, which, mind you, that schedule includes the Giants and the Jets, if we're still not without a, without a win then, then yes, I will slam the panic button. But we're still a ways away from that. Just a really sad showing in week one. Yeah, well, let's run through a few of these, and then we'll get to my agony Olympics. Um, Pittsburgh versus Buffalo. Uh, this game went not as we expected, uh, to say the least. I still – here's the thing about this game. I think it's not really indicative of either team uh, because I think Pittsburgh is going to rush the passer – uh, very, very well. TJ Watt with two sacks in the opener. Um, and the Buffalo defense did not look very good. Uh, Tredavious White got mossed by Chase Claypool at one point. 
And here's the thing. Big Ben was still, as I said in the preview, a rotting corpse of himself. Didn't look like he had any he, – he was noodle-arming it out there. He was throwing up some ducks, uh, and the Buffalo defense couldn't really take advantage, and the Buffalo offense never really shut the door. And then Pittsburgh ended up scoring 17 points in the fourth quarter, and that's the game right there. Uh, so, again, not entirely indicative of either team's season. I still think the Bills are going to be really, really good. But – I do. I am a little higher on the Steelers, uh, having just having um, having watched this game. Uh, it, it looks like they will be at least competitive because of their defense and some of the weapons that they have on offense. But Najee Harris nowhere to be found. Side note there. Yeah, that was a little bit interesting to see him not um, do as much in that game. But yeah, very disappointing for uh, for Buffalo there. L twenty straight for Pittsburgh after going down zero to ten at halftime. Uh, Allen wasn't particularly great, but again, I still have a lot of faith in him. I think he'll bounce back. Um, again, Diggs didn't do a ton, but still had a pretty decent day. It's just one on the road for the Bills. They'll be fine. Uh, next game was a very bizarre one too. Um, again, lots of bizarre games here, but um, <laughs> this one was uh, Vikings versus uh, the Bengals, a game that we kind of wrote off as like, a, oh, okay, like it's Vikings Bengals, and well, because both Bengals like bad this year. Well, but the Bengals pulled it out in kind of a surprisingly solid game, and it was actually the first game in NFL history to start overtime tied at zero zero, and then have a game winning score at zero zero of overtime. That has never happened before. Um, because no one has taken the full 15 minutes after still being then. So along with scoring to make it go overtime. So a very interesting finish here, 27, 24 Bengals pull it off and really impressive work here by Cincinnati in a game that I didn't really expect. Joe Burrow had Lamar a pretty Chase. good outing. Chase looked good. Joe welcome Mixon to, was welcome to the NFL I mean, buddy. And don't forget about Joe Mixon too. That trio right there is kind of dangerous. <laughs> I think the loser on this offense is clearly Tyler Boyd. Yeah, no, that's very true. But Jamar Chase's route running looked phenomenal. Uh, for all the talk that we had, and I know I bought into it a little bit. Uh, for all the talk that we had preseason about uh, Jamar Chase being a bust, I don't know if he necessarily was. And Joe Burrow was kept clean for the most part. Um, on the day now this is against a Vikings defense that again has some talent but I'm not very high on this year uh, and I think Mike Zimmer might kill Kirk Cousins soon like did in cold blood yeah I kind of can understand that uh, next up we have San Francisco against Detroit in a game that was absolutely hysterical if you love to watch comedy you will really enjoy this game uh, because San Francisco had a lead that was basically insurmountable actually a 28 point lead was basically over and the Lions uh, did not win, but they did manage to come back. And again, they had a 28-point lead with like two minutes to go. Like the game was completely over. And they somehow came back, Jamal Williams and a Quintez Cephas touchdown play. Um, yeah, a lot of sort of random name scoring here for the Lions. But they still came back and actually made it a game. It was a 99.9% chance uh, for San Francisco to win. It actually went all the way down to uh, to 90 which I know isn't saying a lot, but in games that are 99% chance to win for an entire half, that's pretty unusual. So uh, shout out for Detroit for actually looking not terrible in the end of this game. I get they're still not going to be remotely a contender. It's still Detroit, but they did a few things in this game that made me sit back a little and say like, okay, they tried a little more than I think last year's Lions would have. And Hawkinson still had a good outing. Williams did pretty well. Goff put up some decent numbers, 57 passing attempts for Goff too, which is wild. But, um, 
and connected on a good chunk of them. Sold over 300 yards and three scores. Did have one DeAndre pick. DeAndre Swift looking Swift like looked good. one. I'm just saying it was it was a game that didn't uh, was pretty solid. Debo Samuel had a great game too. Nine receptions, 189 yards, and a score for the 49ers. So good move there. But I think we might have a new king of the cover in the NFL, and I think it might be Dan Campbell. Because mm-hmm. I don't think these teams are going to give up. They're going to be down big, and they're going to backdoor cover their way into covering like every single game this season. And now we can move on to the game that you have been dreading, and that is the game we thought the Falcons had it bad, which they did. They did not do well, but at least we weren't the Titans. Titans played the Cardinals this weekend, and what we both thought was going to be a solid win uh, for the Titans, a team that looked to be ready to go this year, and the Cardinals, a team that looked to be sitting as a still very good but last-place team in the uh, NFC West, and maybe not because that Cardinals team look like they're ready to go. And honestly, when I look over the roster of this Cardinals team, I'm kind of surprised I wasn't higher on them to begin with. Tyler Murray went off. Chase Edmonds still had a solid game. D-Hop did whatever he wanted to. Chandler Jones did literally whatever he wanted to. This team had a field day against Tennessee on the road, too. And it was 24-6 to at the end of the second quarter. Actually, no one scored in the fourth, but um, Tennessee was able to get at least a little bit back. But... What in the world happened here? Because all I know is that Julio Jones' debut for Tennessee was pretty much a nothing burger. All right. Well, uh, I mean, uh, Julio Jones in the first half had more punches thrown uh, than he did catches. Uh, He got us a nice little 15-yard penalty on a third and three, which which then made it third and uh 18 of course which is a lot more difficult to convert than a third and three um look fun fact (laughs) everything you said about the cardinals is exactly right because the titans defense you would not have thought so from looking at the box score but as someone who watched the titans defense all last year it looked to be a little bit, not a, not a ton, not a ton, but a little bit at least of an improvement. Christian Fulton uh, happened to play well, um, really locked up A.J. Green for a lot of the game. But Elijah Molden, the rookie, got burned by Christian, Colt, by Christian Kirk at one point, and Janoris Jenkins uh, just got absolutely manhandled by DeAndre Hopkins. And look, here's the thing. I think our pressure rate was actually far better. We were 31st in the league, maybe last in the league in pressure rate last year. This year, we actually looked like we were getting Kyler into situations and then just couldn't bring him down. Kyler Murray might be, I think he's more electric to watch in the backfield. Uh, I'm not comparing them as runners. I think Lamar Jackson is a better running quarterback than Kyler Murray, but it, from a pure scrambling standpoint, uh, Kyler Murray made some of the most stunning escapes I've ever seen. He just goes backwards like 20 yards. He just keeps going back and back and back and back and back. And it's up to your DBs to defend uh, the routes for that long. That being said, this defense looked really out of sync. And I haven't even gotten to the biggest problem on our team because the defense was very undisciplined, even if they played well for the most part, because they didn't get any help 
from the Tennessee offense. And why is that? Because the offensive line was atrocious. Now, I'm not saying that every team is going to go out there and have an easy time blocking J.J. Watt, Marcus Golden, um, Jordan Phillips, I believe, is in there. And last but not least, Chandler Jones, who put up five sacks, three of which came in the first quarter. Um, And when Ryan Tannehill is constantly running from a man as scary as Chandler Jones, that's not good. Um, Most of Derrick Henry's rushes, which were rendered completely ineffective by an offensive line that just looked uninterested in even trying to block J.J. Watt, um, most of Derrick Henry's runs started and finished in the backfield. Um, I just – I don't know. I wish I could do the Mike Vrabel thing where after the game he just goes, well, we're going to get in, we're going to you know, we're going to watch the film, we're going to coach him up, teach him up. Yeah, you better. I hope so. If you're doing your job, you will. Um, And it doesn't get any easier this weekend against Seattle. Uh, So rough start to the season for the Tennessee Titans, but, and, and I'd, I was going to bring this up later, but I'm going to go ahead and bring this up now. Uh, Do you remember what the score week one was for the, uh, for the eventual Super Bowl champions last year? Was it 38, three? It was 38 to three. They got, and, and I realized, you know, I made this point about Atlanta too. Not the same, not the same situation at all, but what gives me a little hope is that week one traditionally means absolutely nothing um, in the grand. Jaguars team. won week one. <laughs> that was their only win of the year. You never know. So you never, you never know. know uh, it could just be one of those weird things. Uh, but we'll really see uh, what the Titans are made of when they have to go to Seattle, uh, whose pass rush looks improved, but is certainly not on the level of the uh, Arizona Cardinals. And look, I'm not saying that the Cardinals are going to go out and get six sacks a game, but this might be the best defensive line across the board in the NFL. Um, The best pass rush across the board. I'm I'm not picking any runners against this team all season, but it's yeah, they're, they're going to be absolutely stellar. I think in the pass rush all year long, I think they're kind of going to do not to this extent, but I think they're kind of going to do this to everyone this year. Um, And that's just my two cents on the game. Hopefully we come out stronger next week, Uh, but let's move on to something that makes me far happier. Uh, Speaking of the Seahawks, they (laughs) absolutely demolished the Colts. Uh, The Colts offense looked really non-competitive. Were we Uh, shocked though? I mean, no, it's a backfield by committee, like we thought we'd see. We talked about it all preseason. Jonathan Taylor, one of the most overrated players in fantasy, not worthy of a top 10 pick. 17 carries, 56 yards. We did call it. Yeah, and not to be outdone by Naheem Hines, who didn't get the same amount of touches, but was pretty close. Uh, but let's talk about Carson Wentz. Because, look, Wentz didn't look like a world beater this week. But 
I'm not going to sit here and act like his receivers really did him any favors because this receiving core is absolutely <laughs> atrocious. You got it's Michael so Pittman, you got Zach Pascal, and uh, to bring back a term from earlier, the rotting corpse of T.Y. Hilton. All right, so here's a fun fact for you. For Indianapolis receiving this week, how many receptions did running backs get out of the 25 total receptions? Ooh, uh, you're going to have to tell me because I'm still pulling the stats up here. 12. 12 out of 25 were the running backs. He's not even using the receiving core. I mean, no. it's Pascal with four, Pittman with three, and then everyone else was two, one, three, zero. He's checked I mean, down Crowley. It's just it's hard to watch, <laughs> which I know you'd agree with that, but it's um, it's very uh, depressing to see a team like this not really be able to do very much, and you know it kind of shows off. So no, this team needs a lot of work. They're still trying to figure themselves out. Um, but yeah, twenty eight sixteen Colts pretty um pretty much did nothing in this game. That impressive Wilson had two hundred fifty yards, four touchdowns. Carson ninety one yards too. Uh, Lockett also had a great day as well. That big trio there. For Seattle always looks pretty solid. Pretty predictable win. Not a ton to sort of say about this. Hey, but at least uh, Indianapolis looked disciplined in uh, in defeat. Only two penalties for 16 yards. And I mean... That is impressive. We, we saw that. in several other games how penalties and turnovers can absolutely kill you. Uh, and only one turnover and only two penalties. So, could get better, but I'm not betting on it. They also out... Uh, they beat... Seattle in time of possession by 10 minutes. Oh, they also beat them. in down. But I think that was because there were a lot more big plays from Russell Wilson, like the 69 yard pass to Tyler Lockett was absolutely phenomenal. Those two That's guys true. still have unbelievable chemistry um, in, in Seattle, but I do want to quickly touch on uh, chargers versus the uh, football team. Uh, Fitzpatrick looks to be out for most of the season. We'll see when he can come back. Taylor Heineke is the starter there now. And Justin Herbert throwing the ball around, spreading it around uh, to an assortment of guys. We saw a big week from Mike Williams, who we've, who's kind of been MIA for the last couple of years. We saw a big week from Keenan Allen. And this offense could be really good. Uh, and they certainly have a lot of returning talent on defense that was hurt last year with Derwin James and Joey Bosa coming back. Yeah, the Maryland football team didn't exactly look too great this week. Uh, not exactly their best performance. Uh, Heineke, again, coming in, wasn't exactly inefficient. I mean, 11 for 15, 122 and a touchdown is pretty good stats if you're playing about a quarter and a half. Um, and then Gibson getting 90 yards is still solid. McLaurin didn't do a ton, but was effective getting 62 yards on four. So, Interesting game um, on this one. But, yeah, this is a game that I really think that L.A. would not have won last year. This I, is a game I'm that – in full agreement with that. This is a game, and I, I pointed this out right after I saw this it. I game put this Anthony down our notes. would have blown. Yes, this is a game the Chargers typically don't win, and the fact they won this is more, more effort to support my point that I made in our preview yeah. of saying I really do think this Chargers team is turning things around, and I do think that when they play these big-time AFC West games – they maybe can make a statement. And I think against Washington, that it does mean something to do well. We all know Washington's offense is not particularly fantastic. It's not totally awful. Again, Gibson and McLaurin are, are decent athletes, but it's interesting to see at least them do a little bit, but LA still was able to do a lot of what they want. Again, getting the end zone wasn't as common, but Herbert still got a lot of yards racked up 
and against a team that's pretty solid in Washington. And again, 90-yard rusher, too, against Washington's defense. That's impressive. So it's not not very common. And I'm excited to see what the Chargers do next. Again, we said next week, we previewed that earlier, next week against the Cowboys, this week at 425. I'm really excited about that game. I think that could be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to it. But up next, we have a game between two teams that uh, no one really wants to talk about. We kind of are doing it because we're obliged to, but it is, it is the Carolina Panthers facing off against the Jets. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, this game I only watched because a friend of mine had red zone, so we just had it hopped on and watching it, but wouldn't have chosen to watch this game normally uh, for good reason. 19-14, to 14, um, Panthers do get a win here, as we all kind of predicted. McCaffrey had quite the debut comeback, 21 carries, 98 yards, and then nine receptions for 89 yards receiving somehow didn't get a touchdown, which is kind of remarkable considering that many yards that he somehow didn't score. Um, the only touchdowns of the game were a Darnold run and a Darnold pass, uh, which Darnold didn't really look bad. 24 for 35, 279 yards and a touchdown and a rushing score, which as you said, the leaving Adam Gase effect does indeed to be um, already blooming a bit with a pretty good performance from Darnold. Uh, the same cannot be said for Zach Wilson, who did do uh, definitely worse. Um, wasn't well, exactly no like from his offensive line and, and, and getting carted off. And that is what, yeah, I was about to make that point too, that it wasn't exactly that anybody helped him out. It still was not exactly the greatest performance ever, but, Jets. but I do want to shout out a guy that I told everybody to pick preseason. And I was harping on preseason was Corey Davis is going to have yes. a big year. And what did he do? Five receptions, 97 yards, two touchdowns, which are both Huge wide game. open. And I called it. Corey Davis is going to have a great year. He's already starting off great. If you don't have him in your fantasy team, get him now. And I really enjoyed having him, even though he's a jet, which we know jet fantasy players aren't exactly guaranteed to be great, but he's one that I think you can trust a lot in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just one comment on the Darnold thing, and then we'll move on uh, to something that I would much rather talk about. Um, Darnold didn't look phenomenal. Uh, it's no, 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 no. Like, it's not like he looked, you know, like Tannehill in that first year where he just comes out and sparks the team. But he certainly looked better, though our standards were not very high for looking better because he looked like a complete and total bust um, in New York. And, I mean, this is a Carolina team that could be competitive uh, this year, not saying that they're going to win a lot of games, but they're going to be competitive in a lot of games this year, I think. Uh, and I like Matt Rule as a coach, so – Joe Brady certainly did a good job of getting the ball into uh, Christian McCaffrey's hands. Uh, now you want to talk about bus. Team very happy. You want to talk about bus. And no, I'm not about to talk about Trevor Lawrence being a bus, but there's somebody else in Jacksonville that may be a bus because this game fortunately was not played in Jacksonville. Actually, the Saints were down there playing in Florida. Uh, we'll get to that later, but – Jacksonville Ooh. Houston faced off in a battle of the oh my god how are you still even a franchise games and wow this game was kind of wild because not only did Houston win but they eviscerated gutted and gored the Jaguars and Houston's terrible uh, Houston's wow. still terrible like this game did not leave me to believe anything otherwise Houston is still really bad but Jacksonville uh looked horrendous i mean it it's like he did agonizing. there wasn't a game plan it just was just go play football <laughs> that urban was the game meyer. plan was go play football <laughs> urban meyer is the bust that you are talking about um, yes i got my full fill of sad urban meyer memes because you know how much i love urban meyer in the first place having coached at 
Florida and Ohio State. And now for the Jacksonville Jaguars, where he is going to ruin, I'm convinced he's going to ruin Trevor Lawrence. It's not uh, like it Trevor is. Lawrence doesn't have a chance of being successful under Urban. He had Meyer. 51 passing attempts in his first game as a quarterback in the NFL, 332 yards, three touchdowns, three picks, and was sacked uh, one time as Garbage well. Time and it down. just, and then that's true too. Garbage it was just touchdowns. two picks in the first half. He looked absolutely awful. Looked like they had no idea what they were doing. And this is a team, you know, Trevor Lawrence was the consolation prize. Uh, you know, the blonde, white blonde Jesus of Jacksonville. Uh, he was the consolation prize for having the worst record in the NFL last year. Well, guess what, Jags fans? You're well on your way to doing it again. Great you job. Know, you like, and the worst part Great of this whole job. thing is that James Robinson was supposed to be the big-time fantasy guy to go after, and he was useless. Had 25 yards rushing on only five carries and a fumble. I told y'all Urban Meyer is going to be a terrible NFL head coach. I mean, and I'm sticking to my guns on that. I realize this game was just confirmation bias, but no one in the NFL should get beat by the Houston Texans. And especially no one in the NFL should get beat by the Houston Texans as badly as the Jags did. I could go into an analytical deep dive on this, but there's no need because Urban Meyer just sucks. Urban Meyer is a terrible NFL head coach, um, and I will stick by that take uh, for the rest of time. I think this is going to be a Nick Saban situation. He's gone to USC next year. There is no my, my last My last take on this before we move on to an infinitely more entertaining and better quality game is remember when Chance the Rapper was on SNL and said, let's do that hockey? I feel like that's Urban Meyer with the NFL. He's just like, let's do that football. Let's do that football. Let's do that football, man. <laughs> and that, that, I think, is, sums it up. Uh, next up. Urban- <laughs> go, go, go ahead. Very quick side note. Do you remember the Urban Meyer bong video when he was on his boat doing an interview and there was some, he was like sitting in front of a mirror and there was a dude you could see in the mirror, which was behind him. uh, There was a dude taking a bong rap um, on on this boat uh, during his live Fox interview. And oh my gosh, that it was, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really funny to watch, but I think comedy of errors. Urban might have been doing bong rips before this game, let's be honest. I believe that, but now we can move on to a better game to get rid of that, and that is Cleveland-Kansas City, a game that we predicted would be an AFC championship-type game. I had Cleveland in this game with the upset and was sadly incorrect, but there weren't really – like last game, Jacksonville was the clear loser, and Texas – and the the Texans were – they, they won the game, but they're not really ever winners this year. This game featured two winners, and I get that Cleveland still lost the game, but what they won in this game was a lot of respect and a lot of people saying this is a team that can really contend, and I totally thought that beforehand, and now I think that even more. Now, Mahomes was still dazzling in this game. He did whatever he really felt needed to do, 337 yards and three touchdowns. It was still very much a Mahomes game. Tyreek Hill is a fantasy god. I, my lord, it was just not even fair. Almost 200 yards, 11 receptions, and a touchdown, I mean, including a 75-yard score. That, fun fact, that one touchdown in my normal league that I play him, I had a 96% chance to win that week. After that one play, it was 50-50. That one play. Oh, yeah. Lord. I ended up winning anyway. I won the week barely. 
um, because Darren Waller saved me, but I almost lost my mind when he had that. Um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire didn't really do a lot, but he didn't really need to do. But yeah, the Browns are a big-time team. They're serious contenders. I really like what came out of this game with them. Tyreek Hill went off. I love what he did. It was really an impressive game. And then also a shout-out to David Njoku, who had a pretty solid game. Not many people talking about him, but three receptions for 76 yards. Actually, was a pretty big unit on this Browns offense that ended up doing pretty well with 29 points. So, yeah, very entertaining game, a very fun game. Again, it was still 29-20 Cleveland led with 10 minutes to go, but that big Tyreek Hill touchdown pass and then a Travis Kelsey pass um, for a touchdown led the way with yet another fourth-quarter comeback and win for Mahomes. We know that he loves doing those so much. Mahomes, but, um, yeah. fun fact, is now 11-0 in the month of September. Uh, so crazy. Do, not bet, do not bet against Patrick Mahomes in the month of September. Uh, other side note, the Browns covered in this game. But this was just one of those dumb Kansas City Chief games. It's yeah, just they just, yeah. Dumb games where like they just draw up a play and go, hey, let's score a touchdown right now. Oh, nine minutes, we're down 14, we're <laughs> down 10, let's go score a touchdown. Tyreek down there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, Tyreek is down there somewhere. And Mahomes said, hey, it actually is like that sometimes uh, with Tyreek Hill. Uh, Travis Kelsey, again, just looks like the best tight end in the NFL, and it's not even close. Other side note, just a tight end, just tight end conversation. Gronk. Gronk is back. I think we're. Yeah, we should have mentioned that earlier. That's right. Yeah, we should have mentioned that. Gronk uh, this season. And here's the most boring game of the weekend. I think easily the most boring game of the weekend. Miami versus New England. Because neither quarterback was particularly stellar. But, I mean, you saw flashes for both. Um, And if it wasn't for that uh, Damian Harris fumble inside the 10, uh, New England probably comes away with this game. Uh, But still a big, big win for the Dolphins. Uh, 1-0 on the season. And Jalen Waddell looked really electric i love the way that they're using him uh just getting the ball into his hands um and fostering that connection there between Tua and waddle which of course was already there uh at alabama so big win for the dolphins but you can't be really satisfied with it the way that it happened uh one other side note i didn't get to mention this on mahomes he was he actually has the most touchdowns by any quarterback ever in their first 50 games and he's still on his 47th so of course wild set on that end because yeah why not um, but yeah, to mention Miami, New England, I have very little to say on this game because very little happened in this game. Uh, Mac Jones did look pretty solid, 29 for 39, 281 yards and a touchdown. So not too bad from him in his debut. Um, Tua Tagovailoa also looked okay. Definitely a worse game, but not again. Like you said, they had decent performances. Nobody was stellar and nobody was God awful. Um, Tua did get a touchdown run as well. Also that Waddle to Tua connection could be something interesting to watch this season. A very good touchdown pass. There some Alabama boys back together. So I'm um, interested to see that. And then Nelson Aguilar actually had a pretty good stat line today. So shout out to Nelson Aguilar for doing something productive. Uh, five receptions, 72 yards and a touchdown. One of those is a really deep ball that ended up saving a lot of his um, of his fantasy output. But yeah, not too bad uh, day from the former Raiders. So uh, not too shabby. Um, next up, we had a game that made me want to curl up in a ball and scream because I hate it when the Saints do anything positive because I am a proud, proud hater of them. This was really sad. This was really, really sad. And if you are a Packers fan, I honestly, and I'm not even saying this to be mean, but I I really do feel bad for you because you have a team that basically sold their souls to go win last season. And then you bring everybody back 
You have the weird Aaron Rodgers stuff of the offseason, but everybody kind of went into it and said, okay, well, who cares? He won MVP. And then he just does nothing. And he it's came awesome. out in this game. He was like, oh, my God, did he really they just play golf in the offseason? They looked completely discombobulated. They looked completely discombobulated. The timing on the routes was all off. And as good as Aaron Rodgers is and as talented as he is, uh, this offense looked completely out of sorts the entire Not game. ready. They weren't ready. It was just bizarre. Like, and I look, mean, it was – we saw it last year with Tampa Bay having virtually yeah. no offseason, and I know you wrote this in here, and we mentioned it earlier, but Tampa Bay lost to the exact same – not the exact same, but the same – It was 38-3, to three, right? Uh, 38-3, oh, yeah, the, yeah. the exact mm-hmm. same score of this game. Uh, but I would like to throw a shout-out to Jameis Winston. Who actually looked competent in their <laughs> no, <he competent>. did. <laughs> Sean Payton turned this man into an efficient quarterback. Maybe that just shows how, like, I, I mean, I, what can means to say that player of the year to Jameis Winston? Can we, can we get <laughs> just because he was so awful and now coming we, I mean, back he from thirty interceptions two right. years ago? I, I am simply amazed that this man threw – and I get 20 is not a lot of passing attempts for Jameis Winston, but even in 20, 20 passing attempts, shout out to Jameis Winston for not throwing a pick in 20 passing attempts because usually it's like every four he may throw one. Also, and so shout out former Vol Jawan Jennings catching two touchdowns in this game. And that's the thing that surprised me the most was Jameis looked incredibly efficient in the red zone. Which – Shout out to Jawan Jennings for giving me my favorite college football moment I've ever seen in person, which was the Dobnail boot with Tennessee beating Georgia um, in 2016. So yeah, shout out. Always will love, always will love Jawan Jennings for doing that for me. So appreciate that. That um, one of the wildest things I've, I've ever seen live. So if you haven't seen it, look it up. It's amazing. So it's it's fantastic. But unless you're Georgia, oh, fan, here's a not. fun one. Denver New Denver versus the New York Giants. You say fun like that implies anything other than pain. <laughs> and by fun, I mean this game was so incredibly boring because the Giants stink. The Giants <laughs> stink out loud. Uh, and, and I apologize. I'm sorry for not being low on them. I apologize. Not, not specifically the Giants as a team, but Daniel Jones stinks out loud. Even though he didn't throw an interception this game, he is still addicted to turning the ball over and has to do it somehow every game. Uh, there was a great fumble uh, from from Daniel Jones late in this game, and his stat sheet doesn't look bad. But if you watch the game, it's still the exact same Daniel Jones that we've seen. What you see is what you get with Daniel Jones, and it's not good. Um, so I am picking the Giants to finish last in the NFC East this year. Officially picking the Giants to finish last in the NFC East this year. Uh, they actually play tonight against uh, the Washington football team. We'll but get a little preview big, that later too. But yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think the big takeaway from this game was, goodness gracious, the Teddy Bridgewater doesn't look awful. I mean, he looked like a no. He was he was not awful at all. Quarterback, perfect. No, he actually, serviceable. and with the defense that they have, I think he's even more serviceable because Von Miller and Bradley Chubb were eaten. I, I would argue that he looked in the better half of quarterbacks this weekend. I mean, he had 260 yards, two inter, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, pretty good completion percentage. Now, if you really want to talk about that, he did pretty well. And also, shout out Melvin Gordon for having a surprisingly pretty good game. Eleven carries, one on one yards, and a touchdown. I get that. 
the Giants rush defense isn't exactly stellar, but I mean, it's not like Melvin Gordon's been stellar either. So that's a pretty big game for him and a team that actually picked up Javante Williams, uh, their other running back, but I was going to say, yeah, it's, they said, yeah, um, Javante Williams owners. Here's the, here's the sentence that, and I'll give you a sentence and I'll give you some really fun fumble stats to give you, but the sentence first, this is what ESPN said, which is not my words actually from AP news too, but I just want to say this. For the first time since Peyton Manning retired after winning Super Bowl 50, the Denver Broncos may have a quarterback. All it took was 11 tries. And I think that's not – I mean, it's kind of a depressing take, but I think that might not be a wrong one where like they may not be the franchise quarterback, but Bridgewater may have found a home where he actually can be pretty effective in. But um, let's talk about inefficiency. Daniel Jones – now, these fumble stats are nuts. He led the league in fumbles in 2019. He led the league in fumbles in 2020. And he is the second player ever to lose their 30th career fumble by game 28 since fumbles have begun being tracked. It is actually mind-blowing how much he fumbles the ball, which I know we've made fun of that for two years now, but it's still, it doesn't end. I mean, it hasn't ended in two years. It's amazing, really. Yeah, no, he's, he's a turnover addict. He needs to go to Turnovers Anonymous and get some help. Um the last, the last thing of the weekend, uh, we really don't need to spend that much time on it because, again, I wrote about this the most out of anything uh, in my week one takeaways. You can go look at that on GTD. Uh, but it's pretty cut and dry here what's going on. Uh, Matt Nagy is going to get fired very soon because he refuses. So, so let's back up. What this Chicago offense was lacking in – the loss against the Rams, who, by the way, looked phenomenal. Uh, everyone was As we thought, him. yeah. Matt Stafford looks incredible and looks absolutely jovial uh, to be out of Detroit. Um, and in Los Angeles. <laughs> and in L.A., where he gets to work with Sean McVay, and they're actually throwing the ball deep, which they didn't ever do. With and Jared the sun Goff. comes out sometimes, and, and it's nice yeah. and warm. And <laughs> And like a lot of reasons, are nice, and it's just not Detroit, Michigan in every single uh, facet. Um, but the real highlight of this game to me was the Bears' offense looked absolutely terrible. Uh, I don't think Allen Robinson ran a route beyond 15 yards. Let's point out that Andy Dalton's longest pass of the day was 19 yards, and uh, Matt Stafford was averaging 16 yards per completion. So what was and and David Montgomery played well for the Bears, but what was this offense missing? Explosiveness. They were missing that explosive play. You know who could possibly give that to you? Oh, go big! <laughs> it's Justin Fields who was sitting on the sideline behind Andy Dalton the whole game. I think if Andy if Matt Nagy refuses to start Justin Fields before like week six. I think we could see a midseason Matt Nagy getting canned because they looked awful. They looked. We want to know the good news for the Bears, though. The good news for the Bears: their next four games: Bengals at Browns, Lions at Raiders. Now you're not going to win the Browns game, but that's three very winnable games in there. Not locks, but that's winnable games. They're going to lose all three, and Matt Nagy is going to get fired. That is my first prediction. That's the prediction that I'm most confident in, is Matt Nagy is going to get fired either during or right after the season. He and I could believe that. It's, but, but see, here's the reason why I think he's – which you haven't mentioned this yet, and this is the reason why that I would agree with you that he's not going to last. Their offense was bad, but we've talked about that for years. The defense failed them. 
that well, was the problem here the is money. the defense did nothing. They took the money that Kyle Fuller was making. By the way, Pro Bowl corner, Kyle Fuller. <laughs> they took that money and invested it on, you guessed it, Andy Dalton. Why would they do that? <laughs> Who couldn't win last year with the Cowboys offense. He couldn't win with CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and Zeke Elliott. And now you're asking him to win with Allen Robinson and whoever the F else? Yeah, it's just – it's. I don't understand why Fields isn't starting. I don't understand what's going on at this point. Fire but it's, Maggie it's, into Lake Michigan. <laughs> it just – it to me, that's the part that makes me depressed as looking at the Bears is to say – how can your defense be that bad? That's the question to me. Is it saying that was the thing that always saved the Bears from being a complete disaster? Was the defense at least saved you somewhat? And there you go. Getting rid of Kyle Fuller, bringing in Andy Dalton, expecting him to do something. When you have Fields right there, it's okay to use Fields and see what happens because he's a rookie. He needs to figure it out. He needs to get the snaps. You're not going to the playoffs anyway. You might as well try to do at least something with your season. And apparently they decided against that. But now we can move on to the AFC, NFC teams and players of the week, the things that we always love to talk about right at the end of our podcast every time. And I'll start things off in the NFC, and I have Chandler Jones coming off as my player of the week. Five sacks against Tennessee. I know I don't mean to hammer it in more, but he really was incredible, incredible, incredible in this game. And always love to see that. And actually, super fun fact here. Did you know that Chandler Jones is a Syracuse alum? I did not. Yeah, so go Cuse, go Orange. And we actually do have a guy in Chandler Jones, which again is remarkable considering that Syracuse football is usually awful. But we have a pretty big deal athlete in Chandler Jones. So pretty cool to see him going off and getting a great week. Um, and then Team of the Week, I'm gonna, I usually don't stick with both of them, but I just had to give it to Arizona here only because their expectations in preseason versus their game were so drastically different that I had to give them Team of the Week. There are a bunch of good options here in the NFC, but I had to give them there. So who is your NFC Team Player of the Week? All right, I got Antonio Brown, actually, as my NFC Player well of the served. Week. Five receptions, 121, uh, two touchdowns for AB. Looked like vintage AB in this Tampa Bay offense is going to be really scary if they can add vintage AB to Mike Williams. I mean, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, as well as Gronk scoring tutties. Um, Leonard Fournette was the only guy that looked bad on this offense. I mean, the entire offense looked like they were clicking on all cylinders, including Antonio Brown. And the team of the week, I got the Philadelphia Eagles because they had zero expectations coming into the year and absolutely, I'm sorry, trounced the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, we somehow have really less than zero expectations. <laughs> I was really impressed with their effort, specifically from their receiving core, so, which is what they've been missing for years. So let's see who you got for AFC. Well, player of the week's pretty, uh, pretty simple. I have Tyreek Hill. Not anything too crazy here. Uh, I mean, when you go off for 197 yards on 11 receptions and including the touchdown that ended up being uh, the one that didn't take the lead but was the one that really sparked it uh, right at the end for Kansas City, um, I got to give it to him. He had about as good of a game as you could possibly fathom, which he tends to do in fantasy a lot. And then team of the week, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh here. I think this is a pretty easy pick uh, among a bunch of teams that you could consider, but I think the Steelers – are a really impressive one. Again, as you said, a lot of these picks tend to be expectation versus reality kind of picks, and that was very true 
with Pittsburgh, a team that we expected to be not particularly great this season and really struggled against good teams last year, but then play Buffalo, a team that we know for an inexcusable fact is a good team. And they played pretty well. And again, that Pittsburgh defense playing great too, held Allen to 21 um, incomplete passes uh, and really was able to shut down this offensive Buffalo to just one touchdown, which really would not have thought that. So really good work on Pittsburgh, especially on the defensive end. Yeah, and for my AFC player of the week, I got to go with my guy Tyrod Taylor, who absolutely destroyed the entire city of Jacksonville this weekend. And for that, Tyrod, we thank you, in the words of Daniel <laughs> Tosh. Um, and then my team of the week, the Chargers, who won a game that the old Phillip Rivers Chargers, the old Anthony Lynn Chargers, would never in a million years have won. There would have been some <laughs> ridiculous interception. And Herbert was actually able to ice the game away really well. Uh, so that's where I'm going with my AFC team of the week. And now, quickly, because we got to get off here very soon, uh, but wh- who do you think wins Thursday Night Football tonight? The spread is three. The over-under is 41, and I will be taking the under because this is going to be like a 17-10 to 10 game. Uh, but who you got? Uh, well, first of all, the winner of this game will not be the viewers. Uh, the audience will not be winning this game, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I'm kind of glad I have work <laughs> during this game. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say, um, if you aren't a big NFL fan – or a Washington fan, or a New York fan, like if you are not in that three category, don't watch this game. Uh, sadly, I am a big enough NFL fan where I'm going to feel the need to watch this. And I'm probably being up in New York, it. yeah, being up in New York, a lot of people are Giants fans around here, so I'll be watching with them um, and be and seeing how it goes. But given that they're Giants fans, I think this is going to be a rough week. Uh, Washington, as you mentioned, is favored, and I think they're going to hold on to that. Giants did absolutely nothing to impress last week. Washington did lose, but as you mentioned. It was mostly because the Chargers really looked impressive and pulled it off, but Washington never really looked bad in that game. They just looked like they weren't the better team then, but they didn't look any kind of concerning bad or anything. So that at least is my take on them. So I'm not crazy worried about this team. Yeah, I'm going with the football team as well, just because, you know, I don't think Heineke is good, but neither is Daniel Jones. And look, Daniel Jones as I've said a million times, addicted to turning the ball over. Well, guess who you get to play this week? Chase Young, the strip sack king um, of the NFL. Washington defense fantasy owners. Chandler Jones has a uh, serious argument there. But, yeah, I think we get at least one, if not two or three fumbles out of uh, of Daniel Jones tonight against that Washington defensive line, again, with really a horrendous offensive line in New York. Um, so I am going with the football team, but that will do it for this episode of the blanket coverage podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will try to be more expeditious in the future. This one ran a little bit long, but it's just good to have football back. We just got to get better at timing out, uh, everything, uh, as far as covering both sports, but thank you so much for listening. I am Noah Parker. And I'm Jack Wallace. Peace Peace out, out, y'all.